You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Yesterday, we heard the broad outline of the Ford government's plan to overhaul and modernize our $60 billion health system. The main idea is to provide integrated care as patients move from hospital to home to long-term care and to get rid of various levels of administration and bureaucracy by merging all of that into one super agency. So, Will that end hallway medicine, as promised? Will it change your experience as a patient? I'm on the line with Health Minister and Deputy Premier Christine Elliott. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Libby. How are you? Excellent. We really appreciate you being with us. No, it's my pleasure. Okay. Well, so far, the reaction to what you have unveiled is mostly positive. But this is the biggest overhaul of our health system ever. So what could possibly go wrong? Well, there is uh, a lot of effort being put into this. Obviously, this is a very big plan, a big transformation to me. Um, After listening to thousands of people uh, during my time as opposition health critic, as Ontario's patient ombudsman, and now... Hello? ...term care. Christine? Hello. Hello. Yes, we were losing you there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you? We can hear you now. All right. Uh, That um, that just making small changes around the edges of our healthcare system was not going to achieve the kind of change that we needed to see for patients, their families, and their caregivers. So we do need this transformation. The status quo is not acceptable. We're seeing big cracks and, and pressures in our healthcare system. We've got over 30,000 people right now waiting for placement in a long-term care home. We've got over a 1,000 people every day in hospitals around the province that are being treated in hospital hallways and in storage rooms. And of course, the wait list for uh, mental health and addiction services is unimaginably long. So something has to change, and that's why we're moving forward with this transformation. Well, your government has identified the lack of coordination and continuation of care when patients move from one type of care or setting to another one as as the biggest problem. So how will this reorganization remedy that? Well, this this will remedy it in the sense that it's going to integrate care for patients. So if someone is in a hospital, they've had surgery and they're ready to to go home, uh, but they need some home care, what often happens is uh, they don't know who's going to provide the care, uh, what care will be provided, or when the home care provider will be arriving. Um, And often it will be three or four, sometimes longer days, for the home care to arrive. By that time, the person ha- will have developed complications and very often might end up back in the hospital in the emergency department. Under the new system, patients will already know who their home care provider will be, what services will be provided, and the home care provider will already have information about the patient and will be ready to care for them on day one. The other connection that will happen is that the home care provider, if perhaps will be a nurse, he or she will then be able to directly connect with the hospital team if complications develop 
they will be able to get advice on what care to render, and the patient will be able to stay in their own home and receive that first-class service. That is a significant change, and it is all meant to provide better, more connected patient care. Um, That sounds great. Uh, Right now, even when people know who their provider is and when they're supposed to arrive, they don't even get what they're supposed to get because of other pressures. You know, they've got to get to the next person or whatever it is. Yes, and we need to make sure that the appropriate care is provided depending on that patient's individual needs. But often, the home care providers, when they arrive for the first time, don't have the patient's history, don't really understand what their care needs are. And so time and is spent uh, trying to figure out what needs to be done. Often the care providers don't have the right equipment or supplies with them. That needs to change. The people of Ontario deserve better. Okay, so you've identified a number of agencies that will be subsumed into the super agency, Ontario Health, yeah. as areas of excellence that can show the way for other areas. And I'm talking about Cancer Care Ontario. I'm talking about our organ transplant service. So the worry of people who are involved with those things is that those areas of excellence will lose as they're, you know, absorbed into this larger agency that may or may not be run by people with expertise in that area. So how would you prevent that from happening? Those agencies will be able to continue to do the great work that they do. It will just mean that the agency, Ontario Health, will provide the board leadership, but the people will remain in those agencies that provide, in the, in the case of Cancer Care Ontario, uh, some of the best programs in the world for cancer care and for renal indications. But we should be able to take the lessons from um, Cancer Care Ontario and be able to apply them to other chronic disease management strategies like diabetes, and particularly mental health and addictions, which uh, really don't have much of an infrastructure at all. And those are the kinds of things that continue to contribute to hallway medicine when people do have complications from these chronic diseases or uh, people with significant mental health problems. They end up cycling in and out of our hospital emergency departments, and that's another reason why we end up with hallway health care. Um, so, for instance, back to cancer care, I mean, right now, for instance, they make decisions on new chemotherapy drugs. Yeah. So are they still going to make those decisions or is it the super agency that's going to be making those decisions? Because that's really something that can affect patient care. No, the people in Cancer Care Ontario will continue to do that work. They are the experts in cancer care, and we want them to continue to do their great work. So what is this super agency then going to do? The super agency is going to be responsible for uh, the coordination of excellent care throughout the province. So we want to make sure that people in northwestern Ontario receive excellent care, as do the people in Toronto, eastern Ontario, and elsewhere. There is a lack of consistency right now and a lack of common standards that need to be applied. That will be the role for Ontario Health, 
and Ontario Health will also be um, overseeing uh, the um, operation of the local Ontario Health teams to make sure that they are accountable both financially and with respect to the quality of care that they are delivering in the uh, various geographic areas of Ontario. So, okay. I, I have some questions about those local health teams. So, sure, sounds like a great idea, uh, but the the providers in those local health teams who are now supposed to pool the funding and cooperate, I mean, they're used to competing for funding. So how is that going to work? So for instance, that you ensure that, you know, the home care, the needs of say the home care people who are smaller, usually businesses uh, versus, you know, sophisticated hospital administrators who yeah. are used to getting all the money. How's that going to work? Well, it's, it's really um, very uh, encouraging to us to know that care providers are um, asking if they can be early adopters uh, of the, uh, the new provisions and become local Ontario health teams. They want to work together, but you're right. The funding right now is provided into different envelopes and doesn't encourage the coordination and cooperation that we need to see to ensure that patients receive that fully integrated health care. So what will happen is the care providers will come together in whatever way they think makes the most sense. They will apply to Ontario Health to become the, uh, the local health team, and then they will be responsible because they know their area and they know the care needs of the patients in the area. They will then be able to make, they will be responsible for all of the healthcare providers in the area and making sure that there's a coordinated system for patients. And a single allocation will be granted through Ontario Health for the entire area. So they will work together within that funding envelope to provide those services. And, and providers are, are really interested in working this way. Uh, the, the opposition actually has identified these health teams as an area where the private sector could come in and take over the management. Uh, do you see that? Not at all. That is not going to happen. There is not um, a, a goal uh, of privatization within this at all. What we are focusing on is strengthening our public health care system. That's what it's about, to enhance the patient experience, to provide integrated care so that people have better care experience throughout their um, journey through our health care system. Because right now, people feel disconnected once they're uh, discharged from hospital. Those transitions between hospital to home care, hospital to long-term care are very fragmented. They don't fit together well. That's what we're looking at connecting. And the people of Ontario can be assured that they will continue to pay for their health care services with their OHIP card as they always have done. So who would run these health teams? How is that going to work? That will be up to the local health providers to come together as they see fit and to make an application to the uh, central agency. Of course, we have to respect the legislative process, and this can only happen when the uh, legislation is passed. But they would come together. There will be criteria that is being developed about what these local health teams must provide and what they must do in order to be qualified. 
and uh, if they are accepted, there will be a service agreement that will be signed between Avama and the uh, the provincial Ontario Health that will set out the requirements that must be maintained. But there, in all of this, it's about financial accountability, it's about quality of care, and it's also about continuity of uh, expression and engagement with patients and families and caregivers because this is an ongoing process. Patients are their own experts in their own health care, and we want them to um, be connected and be part of designing the system and making sure it's going to continue to work for them. So how is this going to ease hallway medicine? Um, Because part of the problem there, of course, are people waiting for long-term care beds, and those things take time to come on stream. Yes. Well, one way is to um, to uh, make sure that people receive the home care that they need when they're being discharged from hospital on a timely basis so they don't end up back in the emergency department. The other way is for um, Ontario Health to take a look at some of the great work that's been done by um, Cancer Care Ontario and apply it to other um, chronic disease management strategies to make sure that people receive great care and don't have to come back into hospital because of complications from that. And there is also some great work that's being done in various parts of the province, but one place is in uh, my riding of Newmarket Aurora, where South Lake Hospital has um, a continuing concern with people who are called alternate level of care patients who are there because they um, it's not that they need hospital care anymore, but there's uh, no place for them to go because of either a lack of long-term care spaces or home care supports. So the hospital has come together with several of the uh, home care service providers and developed a, a, a program where people can get home, who are the alternate level of care patients, they can get home with the appropriate level of home care supports, which then frees up the hospital to then admit patients into units and not have to treat people in hallways of of, uh, of their hospitals. So it, it improves the flow and provides a much better um, integrated patient experience. Uh, you've said that this is all going to happen without layoffs, but uh, if the idea is to reduce some of that administration and, and back off uh, a back office and divert it to frontline care, how is how is that possible? Well, what we are looking at doing is is changing the structure of the system to um, make it more responsive to patients' needs and to integrate care for them. So uh, many of the services that are currently being provided through the local health integration networks, for example, home care services, we will continue to need uh, the healthcare nurses and personal support workers and uh, registered practical nurses, all of the people that provide care, we are going to continue to need them. And we will want to enhance what they're doing with more frontline services. So it's about really a reorganization of care. Yeah, but presumably you won't need 14 uh, Lynn CEOs who make $300,000 each. There will often be roles for those people to continue to play in the new system because we have some excellent people working in the in the LINs and the local health integration networks and uh, we will continue to um, to need services from people who have that that experience. Uh, finally, uh, is there anything else uh, you want to leave us with and how long is it going to take for this process? 
It is going to take uh, several years for the system to reach maturity, um, but it's going to be um, seamless from the patient's perspective, and that's why it's going to take time because we want to ensure that patients' care needs continue to be met as we make this transition. And so people should know that they will continue to contact their local healthcare providers when they need um, healthcare services, be it from their family physician, healthcare um, team through their community health center or um, Aboriginal Health Services Center. All of those services will still be available. That's how people should access their care. And I want people to be assured that now and into the future, they will continue to pay for their health care services using their OHIP card. Christine Elliott, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Libby. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we are going to take a break. And when we return, I am here with Laura Tamblin-Watts from CARP. And uh, we're going to get her take on how this might affect you, especially for Zoomers. We'll have that when we return. Also, when we come back, we'll take your calls. If you have any comments on what you heard from the health minister, the numbers to call before we go to break, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with Laura Tamblin-Watts from CARP, and she has been listening very carefully as we spoke to Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health, about those broad changes that are going to affect us all. So, Laura, what's your take? Cautiously optimistic. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of inefficiencies in our healthcare system. We know that home care, which she spoke about, has been a real challenge for people. We know that information is not getting past a month's doctors, hospitals, and home care teams. So that's encouraging in terms of coordination. It's also encouraging to see that when they're looking at the LINs, the the challenges about dollars available between different LINs may be addressed. And Can the, you explain what you mean by that? Right now, LINs have different calculations for how they decide how many, for instance, home care hours you might get. So if you were in one LIN, even in the same city, but are in a boundary, you're on one side of the street, you may get something like six or seven home care hours a week. If you're in the other LIN, even if it's just on the boundary on the other side of the street, you may not qualify for home care at all, which is nonsensical. And it's certainly not what we need in terms of predictability. So I think what we are looking at is a sense of more equitable distribution of those dollars to ensure that people do get the services they need and that they get them fairly. Now, that's all very encouraging information. We still have some questions about how it's actually going to work. Well, exactly. Uh, yesterday, among other people, we talked to quite a few people yesterday. So Dr. Nadia Lam from the Ontario Medical Association, they're happy with this because it addresses their main concern, which is the continuity of care piece. Uh, but, and, and we also talked to Dr. Bob Bell, who is a former deputy minister, former CEO of UHN, and a cancer surgeon. So he was concerned, well, what happens to great institutions like cancer care? I think 
uh, Minister Elliott reassured us that it will stay in place. But also, this has happened in other places. And uh, what Bob Bell told me was that everything kind of freezes while they get this whole super agency thing happening. And what we're concerned, of course, is the care of people while we're in this transition. We heard Minister Elliott speak, and we've had conversations with other MPPs and public officials on this, and they all assure us that it will be, and the word they're using is seamless. I think that will be a great challenge for them to be doing any kind of transformation seamlessly, and particularly one as large as this. But it appears that they're keeping the patient experience front and center. We hope that in this seamless two to three year transition time that these things are not falling through the cracks and patients don't suffer. I will be interested to see which areas they move on first. And indicators that we have is the back end integration feels like that's going to be an early move and also their move towards more digital and e-health will be earlier moves. Again, both could be quite welcome, but there's some devil in the details that we really need to know more about. Well, uh, with the digital health, if their advisor was Ruben Devlin, who is the, the guy behind the first digital hospital, fully digital hospital, which is a wonder to behold in North America, that uh, I would think that that's happening. And uh, e-health, well, that was such a fiasco but there are pockets where it works fine. It was University Health Network. Well, they have electronic health records. The hospitals involved all talk to each other. You can get your patient record. I mean, I was stunned that I think it cost me 10 bucks and I got this vast record of mine with everything in it. We know that people, they should have access, which is easy and understandable to their own health records. We know that there are pockets of excellence around that, like the ones you're speaking about. And we also know that the back end of their healthcare systems does not necessarily talk to the other. So you may be within an excellent pocket and you use the example of uh, the University Health Network as one that's very good, but they may not speak outside of that network yep. to another one. So that back-end coordination is welcome. But we also know that our members and seniors generally want to make sure that they have access in an easy and understandable way to their own records so that it's both front-end and back-end. That should be seamless. I think that they can do it. I think it needs to be done. Having said that, not all people have the same amount of digital literacy. Right. And so... Will they have problems signing in? What kinds of challenges for passwords? How will they make sure that people who don't have computers or don't use computers or have problems with accessibility or problems with internet speed in rural communities, how are they going to have advantages taken uh, for this? So there's still a number of questions, but again, the digital move for those of them who can access is, is a welcome, is a welcome benefit. Okay, let's go to uh, some of these changes are designed to help home care, including these local health teams. Are you confident that, you know, from, from my point of view, I think home care should be the first thing that's fixed and to get an infusion of funding because there seem to be a lot of dollars thrown at it and there's still a shortage and it's the cheapest part of the system. So are you confident in all of this that home care is going to get what it needs? 
I'm confident that this minister has a good understanding of the health needs. And in her previous role as a patient advocate, I know for certain that she heard about the importance of home care. And I do think that she understands that upstream is better than downstream wherever possible. Am I confident that it will roll out in a seamless fashion? No, I'm not confident. But certainly what we have in the terms of home care right now is broken. And so we absolutely should be focusing on integration and amalgamation in the area of home care as an early mover area. And there's a lot that needs to be done in that regard that will help save the healthcare system, you know, downstream effects. I mean, she didn't talk about, uh, you know, she said, we have great home care. Well, actually, we don't. And one of the issues, and I, uh, this is, I don't know that this is the purview of the provincial government, is that uh, there aren't enough personal support workers. There aren't enough personal support workers because those people have bad working conditions. And one of the issues is they can't even get mostly full-time hours guaranteed because things change. If you're taking care of someone who's frail, maybe they move into long-term care, maybe they go to the hospital, whatever. Uh, and a lot of these home care agencies, which uh, the private home agencies were, were put into the system in a previous conservative government, I mean, they're just too small to make that happen. So do you have thoughts on how to fix that piece? You know, we can call it a section of supply chain problem. And, you know, that's the, the term for how do you get enough people into the system? And there's a conditions problem, which you've just spoken to. It's extremely labor intensive. It's very hard work. It is often very thankless work. Yes. And sometimes quite precarious work. Uh, what I will offer is, you know, the liberal government under the win action plan, which has gone by the wayside, but had a focused area around developing both the supply chain and looking at the working conditions of personal support workers. I'm curious whether this government will take the next very needed step and address both the shortage of personal support workers as well as the conditions that they work within. And that's not just for the PSWs or the the workers themselves, but the experience of people who receive care time and time again, we hear the same thing. They're not sure who's going to show up. They're not sure if they're going to show up. They're not sure who they are and what they know when they do show up. And we know that that system is broken. I welcome the minister's thoughts about making that much more coordinated and knowledge-based so that they should know what's going on. I have some questions still about the supply chain and how it's going to work in terms of working conditions. Well, yeah. And if there is a shortage of workers, particularly in rural areas, I mean, you know, the government can't snap his fingers and it has to become a a better and you know as we get older we're going to need more of these people and boy they work hard and it is an often thankless difficult job you know you'd think at least you need decent working conditions and better pay what we know is that these workers you know, often are not making a lot of money and often have to go long distances between jobs and shifts. So themselves, when they're planning their day, there's a lot that goes into that. They may only be able to do uh, certain shifts if they're close by, or they may need to drive across town or to another rural community. So there's a lot that goes into the infrastructure of home care. I'm very curious to see if this government's going to confront that head on. And and again, you know, you're talking about how they, they have not very good pay. Well, 
there are all these little home care agencies. And if, if you're paying for this out of your pocket, it's expensive. But the the actual frontline worker doesn't get half the hourly rate that you're paying. No, it, you're right. And when we look at who's providing home care, there's a lot that needs to be made clear about whether or not private agencies are going to be hired, whether they're going to try to create like a super agency around home care. Those details have not been released to us yet. I expect that we'll hear more about that over the course of the next few months, because if they're saying home care is going to be a focus point, they're going to need to be much more explicit on how they're going to solve this problem. And anything else that um, you have a reg flat? flag about or anything else that you're really happy about? In terms of red flags, you know, we really rely on our CCACs, our Community Care Access Centers, to be that kind of one point of entry. They've been abolished. Right. And so when we have had that, people are still uncertain where to go. So we have relied on those CCACs very heavily. They went away. It's quite unclear how we're supposed to negotiate that healthcare system now. So I'll be very interested to see how these points of entry are going to be clear for people who need that. Okay. Anything else, Laura? Well, we know the system isn't working. So a big, bold step is, you know, unsurprising and welcome. I think what you have to see is how it's really going to work over the next few months and the next few years. Well, as as I said at the beginning, what could possibly go wrong? Exactly. Okay, but hopefully a lot will go right. We're holding our breath. Okay, Laura Tamblin-Watts from CARP, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 